0: But I realized that we all love opportunities to serve, don't we? We love to go help other people, make them feel happy. But we also have to remember to let that opportunity come to people. And sometimes that needs to be through us. Hi, friends. Welcome to this episode of Today I Am Enough. I'm your host, Kara Murray. Together, we will bravely discover truth and joy Through sharing our stories. As we do that, we will begin to see and know that not only are our stories enough, but so are we. Hello, welcome to this episode of Today I Am Enough. I am so excited because today we are doing our little series that we have once a month called Love Your Life. So, this is the second episode of that. So, With these episodes, my goal is to just share real things with you, to share insights I have about how you can be enough and feel enough, or to share parts of my own story with you. Today, I've decided that I am going to share a big story that I have, one that's dear to my heart, and it's one that I feel like I overshare a lot, but that's important and has taught me a lot of things in my life. I've mentioned on here before a little bit about it. So, and I also have a blog post written on on my website as well. So if you've seen those at all, then maybe you've read the story a little. Maybe not though. So, and I also am excited to, to share the lessons that I learned from my experience. And I... I also want to emphasize that when I first was starting today, I I felt like there's so many amazing people out there that have amazing stories, and I feel so privileged that I've been able to interview some of those people, and I feel like my life is really, really ordinary, (laughs) even with six kids, which is busy a lot. I just feel like we're really ordinary, and that's great. I'm glad we don't have a lot of crazy things going on, but... I think it's important to remember that even stories that seem really ordinary to us in our lives can actually really benefit and help others when we're ready to share them with each other. And sometimes it takes time to be able to share it and be honest and open and brave enough with ourselves and with other people. So I am working on that. That's one of my goals with this is to be able to be open and honest and Share some of those hard things, and this is one that I don't mind sharing as much. So, my fourth child was born in November of two thousand nine. It was a boy. He was our third boy. I had three boys and one girl, and my oldest was four. My daughter was two, and my third my third child. He's a boy was 18 months at the time when my fourth son, Jack, was born. And everything was great. My pregnancy was fine, and everything just went great as expected. And we took him home, and the little kids got to meet him, and it was just so grand and so great, and things were going well. And we were adjusting. There's always that adjustment period. And I had just learned to tell myself, put the expectations super low, and then life will be great. And if we all wake up and eat breakfast, and that's all we do all day, then that's fantastic. So we were adjusting. And when Jack was nine days old, it was on Friday, November 13th, we were taking a little trip to the store with all four of the kids to get out of the house for a minute, and we were driving home from the store, and Jack started crying. Just super normal for a little baby. So I was trying to give him his binky, and he just had no interest in that. He was just done. So we got home, and my husband put our other three kids to bed while I tried to calm Jack down. I changed his diaper. I was trying to feed him, trying to swaddle him, all the things. And he just, he just wouldn't really calm down. He stopped crying really hard but he was like taking big gasps of breath like after you've cried really hard and you can't quite calm down that's kind of what he sounded like and I mentioned on Facebook that he was having a rough night and my mom gave me a call and she's like make sure that he's actually breathing and that you see his chest rising every time and so after not being able to calm him down we'd put him down in his crib and he would just cry more and So we noticed though that he would take about two to three breaths and then he would kind of just do that gasping air but his chest wouldn't rise and fall. And a minute or so later we also noticed his mouth was kind of drooping and that was really strange because I had noticed a few minutes before how circle and round his mouth was while he was crying. So I decided we were just going to call the nurse, the on-call nurse at our pediatrician's office. And she told us we needed to get him to the ER as soon as possible because he wasn't getting enough oxygen. So uh, it was like 1030 at night on a Friday and I tried to go find one of my neighbors and they weren't home and I ran to another neighbor's house who was my friend who was single and I really just was hoping she was home and she wasn't, you know, (laughs) on date or something. And I knocked on the door, and I told her I needed her to watch my kids until my parents could get there, and she just left her house, and there was totally a party going on. They were Her and her sister were hosting a party, and she just up and left to come help me, and so my husband and I got in the car, and we started driving, and as we turned onto the main road towards the hospital, I remember I just started crying, and... I just thought, what did I do? What did I do wrong? What's causing this? And I kept saying that to my husband. I was like, what did I do? What's wrong with him? And we got there and got to the ER. And it was 10, 1030-ish on Friday, like I mentioned. And there was no one in the waiting room. And they got him in immediately, took his oxygen levels. And they were totally fine. But he was still not breathing right, and he was still having this drooping. And the doctor just kind of looked at him and said, "Well, maybe you just need to take him to, take him and put him in his room, with a humidifier." And my husband and I were kind of like, "What are you talking about?" And the nurse that had been in there left the room, and a few minutes later she came back, and then just seconds after her, a doctor walked in, another doctor. And he was like, what's going on? And so we explained what was happening, and he said, you know, this is really strange. I really think we need to send him up to pediatrics to see if they can figure it out. So he got us admitted to pediatrics, and we went up there. And the doctor we were slightly familiar with, he works at the same office as our pediatrician, and he just said, we're going to do tests, all sorts of tests, blood tests and urine tests, and we'll do a CAT scanner, spinal tap if we need to. We'll just, we'll do all these tests to try and figure it out. So hang tight, essentially. So they started doing tests, and he just had a little oxygen in his nose, and you know, got hooked up to the monitors, the oxygen, and heart monitors, and pulse, and all those things. And As time went on, they decided to do a spinal tap. So we were advised by the nurse to leave the room. And we did. We just went and hung out in the waiting room. They said it would take about 15 minutes. And about 25 minutes later, the nurse came back in and told us that it was taking longer than they anticipated, but they would be done soon. So probably 5 to 10 minutes later, we were invited back into the room. The doctor came and talked to us and told us that the spinal tap had gone slow and that there was a little bit of blood found in his spinal fluid. Because of that, they decided they wanted to do a CAT scan and so the nurses started prepping him for that and told us we could just sit and hang out and it could be as much as like an hour. So. We got that really uncomfortable chair made into a bed that all hospital rooms get to have. And it seemed like we just barely gotten it made up. And I was trying to get comfortable on it. And they wheeled him back in. It had only been like 30 minutes. It went really fast. And we asked the nurse about it. And she said there was absolutely no one there. So he just got right in. And... By this time, it was probably, he probably went in for his CAT scan around 2, 2.30 in the morning. So we'd been there quite a while. And once he was back in, the doctor came in, sat in front of us. I remember we were both sitting down, and he brought a chair over and sat in front of us. And he said that there was a mass inside Jack's brain. It was in the back right side of his brain, and it was about three centimeters. It was a quarter size of his brain, and that they had already called the life flight for the children's hospital There was an hour away from us, and that it would be here in about 20 to 30 minutes, and I asked him what they were going to do when he got there and he said, well, the neurosurgeon will meet him at the helicopter and I assume they'll do a CAT scan again to verify the results we found here and make sure that the the blood clot's not getting larger. So they'll compare the two scans and he said, beyond that, I'm not really sure. Maybe they'll do surgery, but I don't know. And... My husband left to go call our parents and a nurse asked if we wanted to hold him one more time and she would just make sure with the doctor and I hadn't even occurred to me that we wouldn't be able to hold him soon I hadn't gotten that far in my thought so I loved and appreciated that thoughtfulness from that nurse in those in those moments so we got to hold Jack for a few minutes each before the lifelight nurses came in and they they were just angels to me and they came in with their incubator from the flight that they had just taken and started trans- like moving Jack from his bed to the incubator and the nurse told us they were going to go ahead and put a breathing tube in and that he didn't necessarily need it right now but they wanted to make sure that if he ended up needing it in flight, that it was already prepared because it was hard to do while flying. She advised us to leave just like the nurses had for the CAT scan, so we went ahead and did that. And they we came back just a few minutes later, and he was all hooked up, and the nurse invited us to walk down to the helicopter pad with them. With the incubator and the nurse and the and the pilot, there was not going to be enough room for either one of us to fly with him. And as we stood on the helicopter pad, they loaded Jack in and they showed us where he would be and where she would be sitting. And she pulled out a clipboard with our information and said, is that the correct phone number for you? And we verified that it was. And then she said, if you don't hear from us in 30 minutes, we made it there safely. Our flight is 17 minutes long. And then she got in the, the helicopter and we stepped away. And then we just watched them fly away with our then 10-day-old baby. And we held an empty car seat and a bucket full of random things. We had gotten a blanket while we were there that we still have today and lots of different paperwork along with a very sweet card that several nurses signed for us. We got in our car and we decided to drive home for a minute first. And my mom was there. We got home about 5:30 in the morning. My mom was there watching our kids by then, and we packed a bag up of stuff. We just threw in a few things. We had no idea how long we'd be gone. And around 5.45, we woke our kids up because we wanted to tell them, and we wanted to pray with them. So, we tried to explain in very basic terms what was going on, and... We just told them that Jack was hurt and that he had to go to a hospital that was special for kids. So we said a prayer with them, and we left. The hospital is an hour away from our house. We left about 6 o'clock in the morning. We arrived at 7. We arrived just as they were wheeling him off the elevator from a CAT scan and got to see him briefly before they kind of kick all the parents out for their shift change so we were just bombarded with all these random things being at this hospital we'd only ever heard about um, our son was in the pediatric ICU and it's still incredible today to think about what we saw there and what a blessing Our situation was and I often wonder how other other people's experiences turned out as we saw them struggling through things while we were there so the doctor came in around I think it was around 9 30 or 10 and just talked to us and said well I want to do an MRI and I want to make sure there's not a mass in the blood clot because if there is a mass I'll do surgery if there's not a mass I probably won't because I don't like to do surgery on babies this little so we were like that sounds like a great idea (laughs) so they took Jack back to get a MRI and then we gotta wait around for like four hours for the doctor (laughs) he's a brain surgeon of course so he was in brain surgery for several hours once he came back, it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and he said, well, there's not a mass, but my gut is telling me that we need to do surgery. And then he explained a few more things and told us again that his gut was telling him that we needed to do surgery. And by that time, it had been about 12 hours since we knew what was going on, and we were totally great with that option. We had been praying that the doctor would be able to know what to do and we felt like that was in so many ways an answer to our prayers that he just felt like he knew what he needed to do so we signed what felt like a million papers as a nurse told us all the things that they meant and it was a little bit terrifying to sign our son's life away so many different times for so many different doctors and medications that he'd be getting he went into surgery around 3 p.m. and we were told that it would take two hours and it ended up taking about three hours so towards the end there I started to get a little restless not knowing what was going on and it didn't help that the waiting room was like dark there were no lights on really except the emergency lights the tvs weren't turned on it took me a while to figure out that it was because it was a Saturday and they don't have scheduled surgeries on Saturday, only emergency surgeries. So the waiting room was really boring and the reception was really not that great. So it was it was an interesting three hours. So the doctor came back and said that everything went really well. They found some blood that was older and some that wasn't, and they were just going to send it off to see if anything was going on. But he said 50% of the time in childhood strokes, they never know why. And that his case is probably one of those. He does suspect that all that happened was there was a blood vessel in his brain that was malformed, and it just ended up bursting. So we actually still don't know. All his results came back totally fine. So once he was out of surgery... Um, He was sent back to the PICU, and we went ahead and met him there. And he was so chubby and full of fluids. It was a little crazy to see him. And his face was bright red because he was face down during surgery. And so he it's like a massage chair where he has a little line on his face, on his forehead and his cheeks. And it was a very surreal moment to see like your brand new baby just hooked up to a million different things and he had um, a drain in the top of his head and uh, all the things <laughs> really it's... and I'll put some pictures in the show notes when you go to my website. I'll make sure that there's some there so you can see. but he he did really well in recovery and they just were just would check to see if he could come off the ventilator a few times, and he never did well enough when they were checking while we were there. On Tuesday, so surgery was Saturday, and then on Tuesday I had actually gone home to spend some time with my other kids, and I got a phone call that I didn't recognize the number from, but I was answering all phone calls at that time because... I never knew when the hospital was going to call and it happened to be Jack's nurse and she told me that they had just taken him off his breathing tube and that he was doing really great. So that was super exciting news. I was sad that I couldn't be there, but I knew that I was where I needed to be at that time. My husband and I couldn't just take turns being at the hospital. He was working an hourly job and he was also in school at the time. And so it was really mandatory that he be at school and work as often as possible. And so we had a lot of family and friends helping with our kids and with meals. And it's still one of those things that makes me get emotional when I think about it. How many people helped us and were willing to just step up and take over and help out. So... Tuesday, he came off the breathing tube, and then I think it was Wednesday that he was taken out of the PICU, and he was just put in a medical surgical recovery unit. And from there, all he really needed to do was learn how to eat again. He was having a hard time swallowing properly, and they would do these swallow tests where they would do an x-ray of him swallowing to see if he was inhaling the fluid or drinking it properly so we ended up having to put a thickener and formula and breast milk all in a bottle for a little while and he was actually using a feeding tube while we were at the hospital for a little bit when we first started in medical surgical but he did eventually get onto a bottle before we came home but we did have a supplement through the feeding tube if he wouldn't eat enough so that was a little bit complicated but it didn't last very long once we got home which was wonderful so he was able to come home on sunday so eight days after surgery he came home and he did come home with a feeding tube but he only had it in for about three days two or three days As I take time to reflect back on this experience, I have two major lessons I feel like I have been able to learn. The first is making sure that you take opportunities to accept service when you really do need it. And I don't mean take advantage of people's willingness to be kind, that's something totally different and not kind, (laughs) but There are times in our lives, and all of us will get to experience them, when we have to accept help, and it's always a little bit hard, or a lot hard, (laughs) but I realized that we all love opportunities to serve, don't we? We love to go help other people, make them feel happy, but we also have to remember to let That opportunity come to people and sometimes that needs to be through us. I have a very dear friend that lived by me at the time and she just totally took over and set up babysitting and set up people to bring meals to us and just really kept in touch with me each day to make sure that she knew our needs and when we needed help from them and when we were getting help from family And my brother and sister-in-law took my kids for a few days and let them stay overnight. So that was my three kids, and they had two kids, and I'm sure it was crazy and chaotic and fun. But I appreciate that, and so many people offered prayers to us. So many family called and sent messages and checked up on us, and I got the sweetest letter from my grandmother, who lives across the country, who lived across the country at the time. And... She sent me a list of all the people from her church congregation who were praying for our little Jack and for our family. And it meant so much to me. It just touched my heart. And I just appreciated her thoughtfulness. And I still have that card in those papers because it really does mean so much to me. And I think it's just given me that place in my heart where I... I'm more willing to help when I see a need, especially one that I feel is just makes my heart a little bit tender because of the things we've gone through with Jack, but there are moments that I know I need help, and while I don't always reach out, if someone reaches out to me, I feel like I've been given that gift to accept it a little more easily than maybe I would. Not that I'm perfect at accepting it or that I always do when I need it necessarily, but I am more willing and open to it when it's offered. The other thing that I was able to learn through this entire experience was empathy. And it's not that I didn't have empathy before, but our experience give us opportunities to be able to relate to people on different levels than we would able, than we would otherwise be able to, which I think is huge. And I think that's what makes sharing our story so important. And we don't always have to publicly share them. It can definitely be a one-on-one thing. And there are friends that I've shared experiences with that I don't openly share with everyone, or at least at this point I don't. But I feel like I have just really been able to find those moments with friends and connect with them on a different level. A few months after our experience with Jack, one of my dear friends from high school had a little boy who was whisked away and lifelighted to primary children's where Jack was. And I remember just sitting there staring at the Facebook screen and just crying because I knew what that was like. And I didn't know anybody else that had had that experience. And while our experiences differ a lot, um, there's still those similarities that are there. I recently had one of my very, very close friends. Her baby got her and was life-lighted to the same hospital. And I think I cried every day for like the first four days she was in the hospital because uh, she was whisked away on a helicopter. And then she went into the pediatric ICU and she posted pictures of her little girl and they just looked so much like my little baby. And it just brings back those hard feelings and those hard memories that are just tender. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity to be able to relate and tell my friends, you know, I don't totally understand, but I get what, what this part of it is like. And I think that's one of the most valuable things that we can do for one another We're so quick to judge and we're so quick to not understand people's circumstances that when we just take a step back and really try and see what's going on for them, we can just have that empathy and that sympathy that they need and that forgiveness and that love that all of us so often need in our lives. And if we give that to each other, it helps all of us become better. It helps all of us connect And as we connect, we're more willing to share and we're more willing to bravely discover our stories and we're able to realize that we all struggle. And because of that struggle, we can see that we don't have to be perfect to be enough. It may seem like it sometimes, especially with social media, or as you look at people, you think, oh, their lives are perfect but none of our lives are perfect. We all have stories. We all have hard stories. We all have great stories too. But in our lives, we all struggle. But we're all still enough, even within our struggle. Thank you so much for joining this episode of Today I Am Enough. I hope you make sure to check out our website at todayiamenough.com. And this episode show notes will have pictures from Jack's Hospital Stay and he is now a thriving seven and a half year old who's a little bit crazy and loves to joke around and tease every one of his siblings relentlessly. He also likes to drive his mother a little bit crazy every day. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to make sure you never miss an episode of Today I'm Enough and find out who our latest interview is with. Make sure to review our podcast if you get a chance in iTunes, it would make my heart so happy to know how you're liking our show. And I hope that today you remember that you are enough.